Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Let's get to Mark Franklin. He is our guest. Mark is Managing Director, also Senior Portfolio Manager at Manulife Investment Management, joining us from our studios in Hong Kong. Mark, thanks for being with us. I think we can agree that the narrative for 2022, high inflation, central bankers leaning in hard to fight it. And now for 23, the question is, are we facing global recession? What do you think? So at Manulife, we're not too obsessive about the question about whether or not we're going into recession. We're going to look at the speed with which we descend into a low growth phase and how long that phase lasts for. And that's particularly relevant for equity markets because sometimes equity markets uh, are willing to look through a very short, sharp recession if they believe that it will be over very quickly. But if you go to a a prolonged growth slowdown of several quarters, then that will force equity markets to effectively take multiples down. So our view would be that we are going to probably have four to six quarters globally of low growth, led by Europe, to some extent participated in by the US. But there's a wild card here, what's going on with China. So it's going through a very heavy COVID wave now as it exits zero COVID. But it's really exiting with momentum and intent. And, and the reignition of the Chinese economy will have implications for the global economy, given its importance for marginal growth. So with that in mind, uh, is the plan sell everything else by China? Well, it's definitely an important question. To what extent do we think the US equities can take leadership of global equity markets this year? And that's a relative question. So in absolute terms, we're still pretty cautious on the outlook for global equities. But our tactical view would be, yes, you're probably going to be inclined to take some equity risk allocation away from the US, perhaps with a preference for Asian equities, given their participation and benefits from, from a China reopening. And to some extent, Europe, if you look at gas prices, wholesale gas prices in Europe, they're now back to levels where they were before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And that creates some headroom for inflation to come down and for the can kicking down the road of structural reforms that are desperately needed. So within the equity world, then, are there themes that you want to identify? Maybe it's an industry that you think will outperform in 2023. We still think that energy in the commodities complex look relatively attractive from an asset allocation perspective. Physical markets are very tight, um, so the supply outlook and the underinvestment risks are there. The question will be whether demand holds up sufficiently for the supply side to become the narrative, the dominant narrative for the market. And that's where China comes back in. Assuming that China is able to reopen without too many hiccups, without too many speed bumps, and that should allow for the energy complex in particular, and therefore the derivatives of that in equity markets to continue to perform well relative to the broader market. 
So when you consider China, what, what is a reasonable timeline for exiting this rough ride out of COVID zero? Unfortunately, the, the global lessons that we've learned is that you have these waves which then subside after sort of six to eight weeks and then new variants crop up somewhere down the line. You go through another, another wave again. Um, I think China's attitude is that let's get everyone infected so that then you build up a nationwide level of immuni- immunity for at least six to nine months. So what you could argue is that perhaps by the time we get to the beginning of March, we're through the worst on a national level, although there'll be provincial differences there. And that will allow for the economy to start showing some positive momentum, albeit from a very, very suppressed base in the second quarter of this year into the third quarter. So it seems as though we're going to get some conversation started, another conversation between uh, Washington and Beijing. On the subject of geopolitical risk, there's obviously war in Ukraine. There's the story on Russia and the alliance that seems to be developing. You mentioned energy between not only China, but India as well. Talk to me a little bit about how you see the landscape in terms of geopolitics and maybe risks that are on the horizon that the market needs to be a little bit more in tune with discounting. Well, a theme that, that we're really focused on at Manulife is partly geopolitical, but it's also economic, is, is the concept of deglobalization, reshoring. So clearly zero COVID has had a profound impact on global corporations' assessments of where they should place their supply chains. And then when you start to see government policy increasingly active in terms of industrial policy, whether it's around national security or self-sufficiency, it's forcing uh, reshoring, um, a diversification of supply chains. And so that's going to create tensions at governmental level. But it's also going to have implications for inflation as well. So we definitely see this sort of concatenation of of risks from the geopolitical arena bleed into the economic arena. Uh, Bloomberg's released an inflation forecast for 2023 for a number of economies. Uh, In the case of China, uh, seen accelerating to 2.3%. Does this fit with your thinking? Well, it's, it's very much dependent on the ease with which they're able to get economic activity back up and running again. And that comes down to the ability for factories to get staff back in to produce. It's also about incentivizing households and corporates to invest and to spend. There's been so much... Um, of a hit to to the willingness of, of, of households and businesses to leverage up, to take credit out, to invest because of the inactivity that's been presided over by zero COVID. It's going to take some time for those confidences, the animal spirits to kick back in. So I think that probably by the end of this Canada year, you're going to see a very, very different economic activity level to where we are now. It's not going to be a straight line. Um, and it's going to be come down to, let's say, the confidence in businesses and consumers to start spending materially again. And then also you've got to look at the export markets for China, whether it's Europe or whether it's the US. Clearly, consumers in, in Europe are behaving very cautiously right now. US consumers have depleted their excess savings to a large extent. So maybe the, the growth drivers will need to be more domestic in nature for China this year. So on the subject of reshoring, does it necessarily follow that I will choose semiconductors as an example? I mean, yes, we know that a number of manufacturers are bringing production facilities to the US, but there may be other industries, kind of lower level um, manufacturing that may be shifted out of China to places like India. I mean, are there countries uh, that may not be directly correlated to to trade tension story or the supply chain story that could be the beneficiaries? 
Yeah, so there's definitely beneficiaries of, of reshoring or diversification of supply chains. And some of these moves were going on well before COVID happened. So if you look at textiles, you know, the likes of Vietnam and Bangladesh were benefiting from uh, businesses taking their footprint out of China because of rising wages and rising labor costs and moving them there. So that's, that's already got a tailwind. And I think then if you start moving up the value chain, whether it's sort of consumer electronics, then the likes of India and also other parts of Southeast Asia will probably benefit from companies such as Apple looking to not be as totally dependent on China for its production of iPhones and, and, and Macs as well. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of predictions of doom and gloom for 2023. Do you have an outsized allocation to havens? Uh, the, the question is, what serves as a haven these days? Because I think fixed income really dropped the ball last year. The correlations with equities shifted completely, and it made, made sense given the, the, the change in the macroeconomic regime that we saw. I mean, ultimately, you have to start this year with a much more cautious stance in terms of asset allocation and what you define as a safe haven. Cash should not be underestimated as, as an important diversifier in this environment. It also gives you optionality for when situations stabilise and when you spot opportunities that have attractive risk reward because then you've got the cash ready to deploy. So we believe in running certainly elevated cash levels to start the year. And we also think that energy and commodities provide a certain amount of diversification, but with elevated volatility. So if you're running a strategy which has low vol, you have to be a bit careful about commodities and energy. But if you have a certain bandwidth for taking on volatility, then we think those asset classes can potentially perform well on a relative basis in the first few months of this year. Good conversation. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Mark Franklin, MD, also Senior Portfolio Manager at Manulife Investment Management, joining us here on Daybreak Asia. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.